Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Ann Clark, Deputy Managing Director of Claremont Group Interiors, a construction company that transforms workspaces that change the way people think. Ann, hello. Good morning. How are you? I am well. Thank you for coming on the program today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? I think it's inspiring people to follow you, really, in very simple terms. People have to buy in, buy into your ideals of the company. You have to be quite clear about that. And then it's really motivating them to, to, to follow you um, in battlefield terms. I suppose it's, you know, follow, follow the guy with the flag at the front. Um, and you know, it's, to me, it seems a relatively simple concept. I think it's harder to deliver, but uh, I think that's, 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 what, that's what I would view it as anyway. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, I think I am approachable. I think I have a reasonable level of empathy, um, both with um, clients, with um, our staff and uh, team members. Um, I, I'd like to think we quite our culture as a business is quite open and friendly. It's not very corporate. We have about a hundred employees. We know we know them well. We you know we're very much a sort of um, family oriented business, although we're not a family. But uh, that sort of people-centric approach has been very strong in our business. Um, we've been around 40-odd years. Um, and that was established by the original uh, owner of the business. And that's continued to this day. So people in the business here who are leaders um, buy into that people-focused culture, I think. Now, uh, you mentioned that you manage a staff of 100. Uh, what are the challenges in dealing with a, a group that size? Um, I think at the moment, one of the challenges we have is retaining good people. Our marketplace is quite competitive and therefore um, we are known locally because we've been around a long time as a company that trains people well and uh-huh. people have had a really good grounding if they start with us and therefore we get you know, we get a lot of our competitors um, trying to um, lure our staff away. So staff retention is definitely one of the challenges at the moment. And also, I think in our business, we have a, a broad demographic. So we have people um, who come in straight from university on our sort of graduate training and apprentices. Um, and it's, you know, how do you keep those people who are coming at the start of their career um, for as long as possible, really? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the younger generation particularly are very keen to have perhaps different types of careers than the people um, who started their career in the sort of 80s when I did, um, who, you know, having a good, stable job was very important to us. And, and it's not the same in the younger generation. So that that's definitely um, influencing the way in which we're, we're tackling those issues, I think. And what advice would you give to the younger generation just entering the workplace? And patience, <laughs> in one word. I think that I love that energy. I love that dynamism. And, you know, my job here is to try and um, harness that so that we get um, fantastic uh, engagement with our clients, fantastic solutions, fantastic interiors, creativity, all of those things. But, you know, the younger generation really want everything very quickly. Right. And that's 
great at one level, but you need experience, you need knowledge, you need to, you know, sometimes it's bad in the hard yards. Yeah, it is. And um, that's, uh, I think that um, we find that they want it so quickly that, you know, oh, I've learned to done that now, I can move on. Well, actually, you need to be able to do that again consistently in different places with different styles of things, you know. Of course. So, yeah, patience would be my watchword. Let's go back to the beginning of your career when you were first starting out in the workplace. Was there any particular individual uh, who formed the way that you lead today? Um, I had, um, I started my career in, in construction, um, at a time when there were very few women in construction and I found the, um, that, that environment was very difficult for a young woman to be in. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thankfully saying that it's not like that now. So one of the things that's been very um, close to my heart as in my career is to make sure that nobody had the experience that I had, which at times was really verging on bullying and harassment in the workplace, which, of course, at that time was largely ignored you know, you just had to shut up and get on with it. Um, so that has been something in a way which whilst was a negative for me personally, I think it definitely formed my view of having a very equal and um, non-discriminatory and supportive culture for people trying to do their best in, you know, not always easy circumstances. So that that has definitely formed part of my goal, my, my approach to, to leadership. But the other thing I think was very important to me is when I joined Claremont and I have been here 32 years um, when I joined Claremont the managing director at that time saw in me some untapped potential and was very uh, he was was very supportive Mm -hmm. very I mean pushed me really in a way that I wouldn't have pushed myself and made me have a bit of belief and self-confidence at a time when it was pretty low because it had come from not a massively brilliant start um and so he he gave me that confidence back having had that taken away from me really in my previous um employment um and so yes i think it's those two things really that they're not quite the same side of one coin but they definitely together made me feel strong and you know that i could do things that i perhaps didn't think i could and um, certainly could reach, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think I ever thought I would be deputy MD of a, of a business turning over uh, £35 million. That was never on my horizon as a young woman. <laughs> and, and that's the thing that people seem to uh, uh, to look over when we're talking about influences on people and uh, influences that can be for the positive, but are very negative influences. They shape us just as much as uh, as any any positive encouragement um, now, just going into the realm of leadership on a bit more of a broad stroke perspective, if I was to press you to identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? I really don't know about that. You've really caught one, me on the with that one. It's a really <laughs> tricky one, yes. Um, I don't know. Oh, I mean, we hear, we always hear of, you know, Nelson and Churchill and Mandela and those sorts of people, but there, there are plenty of interesting ones out there, aren't there? There are. And I think actually, um, you know, not all leadership has the same style, does it? So it can man- manifest itself in Absolutely. different ways. And that I think 
as an as an individual, I'm quite an introverted person, which is not a quality that one would normally potentially associate with people in leadership positions. Right. Um, because I think the perception is when you've got to be this quite strong and extrovert person to get people to follow you. But I think um, from for myself, I recognise that it was you know part of it about being a leader is having a very clear dynamic view of the future. But it is also about listening to people around you. And not, it's not, this is my way at any cost. That I think is, for me, isn't good leadership. That is, um, that is something different. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that empathy and listening is important. I mean, you still have got to be absolutely moving forward um, and not be afraid to say you've made a mistake. I think that's also true. Um, you know, good leaders can admit that, uh, they've made a mistake and they're going to stop getting that and do something else now. Absolutely. And, you know, get it back on track. Um, so that, that fear factor of being judged of having made a mistake is, is something you have to get over, I think. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for Claremont Group Interiors? Um, I think for us, we've got some really exciting projects um, on the go at the moment. Um, the, the economic situation has been quite um, stagnant in a way in the north where we are based, although our projects are national. And we found people taking a long time to make decisions. Um, and I think that what that was definitely Brexit related, not necessarily because um, that had a direct influence, but there was just such nervousness about making financial commitments. To it was the uncertainty. Because yeah. that uncertainty element, I just don't think that can be underplayed. And for smaller businesses like ours, that has quite a big impact. So we had a lot of pent-up demands of people thinking about uh, reshaping their workplaces, which isn't just about moving. I mean, a lot of people who we work with are reshaping their workspaces because they're also struggling with some of the things I touched on earlier, like staff retention, attracting talent, um, you know, higher expectations in the workplace. All of those things play into why people make decisions to change things. So we now at the moment have got a fantastic future order book for the next um, 18 months. And we can see projects right through until 20, you know, autumn 2021, which is quite unusual in our in our sector, because normally things, people make a decision, it happens, they move, and that's, you know, that right. process might take six, eight, nine months, but it doesn't, you know, it's not usually kind of so lengthy. Um, so, be, but because of the pent up demand, people were almost sort of ready to go and, you know, they, they started to sign leases, they started to kind of make those decisions and actually make it happen. Um, and the other thing for us also, which is a, is a relatively um, exciting departure for our normal business, is that we're doing quite a lot of work in Dublin, um, mm-hmm. which is definitely Brexit related, which is not something that we have had before. So all of our work really has been within um, the UK and uh, even not very much work in Northern Ireland. But um, at the moment, we've got quite a tranche of projects in Dublin, all looking, all for companies who are looking to have um, an easily accessible European base mm-hmm. once Brexit's happened. Well, Anne, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you come back on the program in the near future uh, to go in further uh, on your particular business uh, matters. Anne, thank you. Thank you very much. 
That was Anne Clark, Deputy Managing Director of Claremont Group Interiors. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more 
looked at it upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge when it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was, I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be 
be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well and more than that whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you? Oh not for me personally no I I think and I don't uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. It, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in, too. It won't be too long to tell you. 
Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line jersey or jersey two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me? I, I can tell you if you want. You want? You got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have I, to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. 
their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, e- easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. The wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, 
you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is showed, the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.